So that's John 20, verses 19 to 31. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side, stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Thank you, Vanessa. And good morning, everyone, again. Uh, Let's pray as we uh, just focus on God's word this morning. Uh, Think about the Lord Jesus and the implications for our lives. Uh, If you're here for the Life Series, it's great. Uh, We're in our fifth week uh, exploring Jesus, who he is, what does it mean for our lives. Uh, So what a great privilege to look into that again this morning. So let's, let's pray as we think on these things. Our great Heavenly Father... Uh, We do give you great thanks for this privilege we have now just to stop and focus and think and listen uh, to what you'd have to say to us this morning. Father, thank you for the biographies of Jesus' life that are recorded for us, that we might have life, that we might see that Jesus truly is the Christ. Uh, Lord, help us to listen, help me to speak faithfully and clearly, and we pray it all uh, for Jesus' glory. Amen. Well, this morning we're going to explore the whole idea of life after death. Uh, what is there beyond the grave? Uh, what, what goes on there? Where, where do we end up after this life? And uh, let me tell you a story to get us thinking. Uh, as a husband and wife, uh, and they are huge 
cricket fans. Uh, they are cr cricket fanatics. You know the kind? Um, you either love them or you hate them. Let's call them Tom and Nancy. And they used to attend test matches together. They're the kind that sit in the members' stand. Uh, they collect the autographs. Uh, they buy the memorabilia. Um, they were such tragics, they even agreed that whoever died first would come back and tell the other if there was cricket in heaven. <laughs> One day, Nancy passed away, uh, and while watching England bat, and a few nights later, Tom awoke to the sound of her voice coming from beyond the grave. Uh, he says, is that you, Nancy? And she says, yes, it's me, Tom. Uh, this is incredible, incredible, incredible. T tell me, is there cricket in heaven? And Tom, she says, there's good news and bad news. Which do you want first? He says, tell me the good news. She says, well, there is cricket in heaven. He says, that's wonderful. What's the bad news? She says, you're opening the batting tomorrow night. <laughs> now, it's not a true story. <laughs> I think you worked out. Um, but there it is for us to think about what actually goes on beyond the grave. Uh, what, are, what are the possibilities? There are actually only a few possibilities if you really want to think about it. And let me lay out a few of those for you now. The first one I call the Christopher Columbus approach. Now, in the days of Christopher Columbus, uh, before the days of him, uh, the people of the world thought the world was flat. Uh, they looked out to the horizon. What did they see? They saw a great big ocean. At the end of that ocean, what are they imagining? There is nothing else. Uh, that's it. Uh, that's the world as far as we know it. Uh, there is nothing beyond. Over that horizon is the place of no return. Um, we haven't seen people come back from there. Uh, in fact, apparently in the Lisbon Harbour, Portugal, there, is, there was a sign that said nothing more beyond in Latin. And many people think that's what it's like after you die. There is nothing. There is nothing beyond. Uh, we cease to exist. This life is all there is. Now, that's a big claim, isn't it? If that's true, I think that would have changed my life dramatically. That would change your life dramatically if that is true. Now, other people say, no, no, you do come back. There is life after the grave, you actually come back as a reincarnated person. Um, millions of people across the world believe that. They would say, you're going to come back either as a person, depending on how you've lived throughout this life, or maybe you're going to come back as an ant, or maybe you're going to come back as a cockroach. I do encourage you, if you are attracted to that view, to actually think carefully. <laughs> um, but seriously, uh, to look into that and look into the lives of people who believe that and even cultures around the world who take that very seriously. I think it's actually a very ugly belief uh, with a lot of hopelessness and not a lot of grace. And then there's the Lord Jesus, isn't there? Jesus makes some huge claims about life after the grave. Um, what, what's the message that's gone out for 2,000 years it's the message that actually, you no, know, everyone will be bodily resurrected. There is life, there is a great life to the full to be, to be had after this grave, after this life, beyond the grave. 
Uh, there's actually two options. There's some that will meet God as friend, enjoy a beautiful and eternal life with him uh, in community. And there are those that will be facing God as enemy and facing an awful and internal uh, damnation. And Jesus does the incredible thing of not only painting that picture, but also of saying, actually, I'm the one that you should be listening to in regard to these things. I have the authority to speak on these things. Um, actually, I'm the one who will determine your destination on that last day. That is a huge claim, isn't it? Uh, Jesus of Nazareth, the historical Jesus, claimed to be the Christ, the King, God's King, uh, the one that would rule forever, uh, that would rule beyond the, beyond the grave. Now, if you make those kind of claims, you've actually got to back them up, haven't you? Anyone can say uh, anything they like about beyond the grave. Anyone can say, I can live forever. Jesus makes those claims and then he backs those claims. Jesus backs those claims by being the first to be resurrected. Now, the Bible says he is the first fruits of a great crop of resurrections to come. Uh, it's that farming term when the, when the farmer sees with great joy and great excitement, there is my first healthy crop. What does that tell him? There is a huge crop to come. And so the point that 1 Corinthians 15 is making is that that is Jesus. When you see Jesus resurrected, you're meant to go, wow, that is where we are heading. That is what's going to happen to us. There is all these bodily resurrections to come now that we've seen Jesus raised. Jesus is also described as a pioneer, uh, Hebrews chapter 12. And, and what do pioneers do? Pioneers, I think, they're not only the first, but they're also the ones that, from which we benefit. Their hard work, sacrifice and toil means we actually get a lot of benefit. Uh, that's the definition, I think, of a pioneer. The, the early settlers of New South Wales were pioneers, weren't they? Those who paved the road across the Great Dividing Range, um, the one that we now call a highway over the Blue Mountains. Their work, their, their initiative means that we actually sail up the Blue Mountains on cruise control uh, because of the pioneer. And that's what it's like with Jesus. There's great comfort, there's great confidence uh, now beyond the grave because Jesus has conquered death and Jesus has gone before us as the one who's resurrected. We don't need to wonder, we don't need to wonder about it, we don't need to be afraid. Jesus has gone there. Jesus has shown us in his own resurrection. Now, this kind of waiting game where you're nervous and you're not sure what happens beyond, I think happens to me when I go to the dentist. I don't know if it's your experience. You're in the waiting room. Everyone's looking nervous. Everyone's looking at each other. I'm nervous for two reasons. One is, what's going to happen inside my mouth? <laughs> how big's the damage? But also, how big is the financial pain? <laughs> that's, that's the nervousness too. Everyone's concerned at the dentist I go to, there's a number of uh, different surgeries there, and it's behind a door. And that door is, you can't see through that door. You can't hear what's going on in beyond. And there's fear. Until someone comes out with smiles on their face, with great teeth, easily paying the bill. And you go, okay, there's hope. I can do this. 
And I think it's like that with the Lord Jesus. He goes before us. He is our pioneer. He died and rose again. And Jesus always had this plan. Have a look at this um, statement from Jesus in Mark's Gospel, the, the biography of Jesus written by Mark. Uh, very clear, Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man, that's Jesus' way of referring to himself, I must suffer many things. I must be rejected by the religious authorities. I must be killed and after three days rise again. Jesus was crystal clear. That is his plan. That is his purpose. Jesus claimed that he could conquer death and he would. Now the question then is, did he or didn't he? That really matters, doesn't it? Uh, There is the claim from Jesus, but is it true or is it a hoax? And I hope you see that that's an important question. I reckon some people today, some of my friends would say, does it really matter? As long as you believe it to be true, as long as you feel good about it. Well, that's not the view of those historians that wrote it down and recorded the life of Jesus. They said, no, 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 this is really true. And this really, really matters. In fact, the Apostle Paul said, if it's not true, um, I'm a liar and you shouldn't believe me. This is a complete hoax and you should be throwing it out. Uh, All of our work in the Gospels in vain. Um, It is a terrible, terrible hoax. And I would say the same. So does does it matter? Yes, it matters. Is it true? Well, you need to to do some discovery, don't you? And when you're looking at things, whether they're true or not, it it is actually helpful to be a little sceptical. Have you noticed this? Uh, You don't want to be gullible. You don't want to be the person. Have you got one of those friends who believes everything? Um, You don't want to be a gullible Christian. You actually want to have a healthy scepticism. We all know that not everyone speaks the truth. Some people have motives. Uh, There's all kinds of reasons why people make things up. It's actually good, isn't it? To look into the facts for yourself. And some, sometimes you hear urban myths. You know, there's kind of stories you go, well, the more I press into it, the, the, the facts kind of dissipate. And I can't quite investigate. And it's all a little bit, it's an urban myth. Um, I heard a story of a guy on the coasts a few years ago, um, a Christian man. And he said he wanted to do God's work on the coast. He wanted to minister to people, uh, but he didn't know who to minister to or he didn't know where to minister. Uh, He wanted God's guidance. And he thought he could do ministry anywhere in the world. He just needed God to tell him. And so what he used to do was he used to go to the airport and he used to go there and wait for someone to give him a ticket. Uh, God will give me a person who will give me a ticket and I'll get on that plane and I'll know that God wants me in Thailand. Or God wants me in LA. Or God wants me in Europe. It'd be a great way to do a holiday, wouldn't it? Um, If you pray, and I don't necessarily recommend it. But one day he went to the airport and he waited all day and no one approached him. That was the deal with God, that someone would approach him with the ticket. No one approached him. Uh, He he went into the bathrooms. he, He went into a cubicle. And when he came out, he said he was in a different country. He'd been teleported uh, to a different country. Uh, he'd already arrived, and there he was, ready to do ministry. Now, is that story true? 
I doubt it. <laughs> There's a few sceptics amongst us. You'd want a whole lot more evidence, wouldn't you? That is a huge claim. Uh, that is a massive thing that he's said. And he's even put God's name on it. And if I'd want to know who were the witnesses... Who saw that? Uh, there's a whole lot of things I'd want to know before I believed it. And so I think it's the same with Jesus. It's okay to be sceptical, have a healthy scepticism, look into the facts. Um, because if one of us said, if one of us came on a Sunday morning and said, actually, did you know, did you know that this is actually my second life here on earth? I died several years ago and now I'm resurrected and that's why you know, I, I look so good. Um, my body's renewed. Um, you'd think, what would you think? There maybe is a mental illness here, sadly. Uh, Maybe this person needs help. Um, I don't think that is true. Now, some people think that back in those days, in the time of the gospel, in the time of Jesus, people were very gullible and they would believe anything. But when you look at the the accounts of Jesus in the gospel, you realise, no, actually, um, they had, they were just as sceptical as I think we are. Uh, they were just as doubting and disbelieving, just as wanting just as much facts as, as we would want. Um, think about it with me for a moment. The, the enemies of Jesus uh, were sceptical towards Jesus. Um, Jesus said some radical things. Jesus uh, threatened their very way of religion. And the religious leaders were far from quick to believe Jesus and to act on him. Jesus' family was sceptical. In John's biography, uh, it says, even Jesus' own brothers didn't believe in him. Even his own family are saying, Jesus, I think you're crazy. I think you're far too over the top. I'm I'm just not confident in in the things that you're saying. I'm questioning you. I suspect they were probably annoyed with him too. They had an older brother who was always in the headlines, in the the, the spotlight. Um, They were not gullible followers. You know, the the biggest sceptics of of all were Jesus' followers. The the ones that uh, went around with Jesus, the disciples that were chosen by Jesus. When Jesus was condemned to die, they all fled, didn't they? They were nowhere to be found. Um, They doubted that this was actually going to happen. They doubted the claim of Jesus that he would rise from the dead. And they walked or ran from Jesus. But something changed them, didn't it? Something radical changed them. Have a look at this verse in, uh, in your, the one that was read out by Vanessa, chapter 20 of John's biography, verse 19. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Can you imagine that scene? Three days earlier, they've seen Jesus brutalised on the cross, dead and buried, going to a tomb. And now, Jesus is standing right in front of them. And yet, they still need convincing, don't they? Uh, is this resurrected? Is this, could this possibly be Jesus? Is the resurrection actually real? Uh, what would you do? I wonder what you would do if you, you had that situation. Just, just picture it for a moment. You've gone to the funeral of a good friend. Uh, you might have even seen your friend deteriorate and die. You might have even had a viewing of the body. 
Uh, you've grieved their death. Three days later, you're in the supermarket and you see them. Now, I think what would be the first thing you'd do, you'd, it'd be unbelief, wouldn't it? That cannot be them because they just died and dead people don't rise to life. You'd be thinking, I'd be thinking, that is a splitting image of my friend. I cannot believe I've just seen someone who is identical to my friend. But then you might even question yourself, mightn't you? You think, I'm in grief, I'm tired. Maybe, I mean, yes, they look similar, their features are the same, but maybe in all of that I've just thought it was them. I've, I've imagined it or I've, I'm just not thinking clearly. And again, you'd want more evidence, wouldn't you? You'd want to press into that person a lot, lot more before you said, yes, they've been resurrected. And that's what happens with the Lord Jesus. In the very next verse, verse 20, Jesus gives them the evidence that they need. He actually shows them the wounds uh, in his hands and his side. it's, It's Jesus saying to them, look, I am the one who was publicly uh, crucified on the Roman cross three days earlier. I am that Jesus. Look at my hands, look at my feet. Um, Luke records for us that Jesus says, come and touch me. Um, Give me some fish that I might eat with you. I'm not a ghost. I'm a real flesh and blood person. I am the Jesus that ate with you and uh, taught taught you and walked with you and went to the cross. It's the same Jesus. And it's interesting too that the writers of Jesus' biography also tell us very plainly how the disciples responded. And again, it's not all belief and gullible belief at all. Um, In fact, the authors of some of those Gospels don't actually paint themselves in the best possible light, do they? Uh, If you read through, you realise... They were scared. They were sceptical. They doubted. Uh, They were frightened. Uh, They weren't brave, loyal followers who who got the resurrection and and went with Jesus immediately. They actually needed to see the proof. And Jesus gave it to them. But it's actually one of those uh, parts of the gospel you realise the gospel writer's not making this up. This is actually what happened. And that's what would happen if their friend, the Lord Jesus, uh, had appeared to them alive. Well, have a look at, uh, I think the classic case is Thomas. Uh, We heard him uh, read out before in uh, verse 25. Thomas uh, says, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my hand in the spear wound in his side, I will not believe. What do you reckon? Thomas, I think, is the Aussie disciple. Yeah. He's the hard-nosed, I want to know the facts. Don't, don't try and trick me. Um, I want the evidence. And there it is, one, one week later, in the same house, with the same men behind, locked behind the doors because of, the, of their fear, Jesus stands before them and turns to Thomas in verse 27. He says, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe because you can now see that it's real and can you, you can just imagine that for Thomas can't you suddenly three years of life with Jesus uh, any of the doubts and the fear and the skepticism start to melt away and he realizes no, no no this is the Lord Jesus this is the resurrected one and he says 
my Lord and my God, you are the king. You're the one I need to follow. You are the resurrected king of the world. Your promise is true. There's something that that teaches us, doesn't it? There's something good about being a sceptic. Um, it's actually good to press in hard on the, on the hard questions, isn't it? Uh, because you'll find the truth, whether it's true or whether it's not true. You'll see, as, as Thomas saw and the disciples saw, and hopefully and many of us have seen, that the resurrection of Jesus actually happened. It is real. It is recorded. And you might, you might think to yourself this morning, well, actually, I'm not quite sure. You might think to yourself, I, I actually need to do some more investigation. And I want to encourage you to do that to press in hard, to actually discover whether this is true. Um, You can do that through the life course uh, in February uh, where you'll be stepped through the evidences for the Lord Jesus and and his life, his death and his resurrection. So let me encourage you uh, to do that. But why would you believe it's true in brief? Let me give you three quick reasons. First, it makes best sense logically. Uh, If you think about the sequence of events, if you think about the behaviour of the disciples, why would the disciples make it up? What did the disciples have to gain for making up the resurrection? Normally, we all know from personal experience, you don't tell the truth because you've got something to gain. The disciples end up persecuted and even die for preaching the resurrected Jesus. They had nothing to gain. And what are the chances of them getting away with hiding the body or stealing the body? Or what are the chances they actually went to the wrong tomb? They're all possibilities. But what's the likelihood of that happening? It's highly unlikely, if you think about it logically. Um, When Jesus was under unprecedented scrutiny, and so were the disciples, that lie is not going to live on for very long at all. But secondly, it makes sense psychologically When you think about Jesus' words, you think about his actions, you think about him claiming to be God in the flesh. uh, uh, If that's not true under Jewish law, that is an outrageous blasphemy. Uh, It meant the sentence of death, uh, not just for those who claimed it, but for those who acted upon it. There was a lot at stake uh, to claim that you were God in the flesh. And what would you need to convince Jewish men that this is real Uh, what would you need to convince them to risk their lives for the sake of the resurrection it'd have to be something extraordinary wouldn't it it'd have to be the resurrection itself wouldn't it but how how do you turn um, skeptical frightened um, men who are fleeing Jesus into brave confident proclaimers of the resurrection in Jesus well the, the most obvious answer is the resurrection isn't it if you saw the living lord jesus resurrected uh, that would change you wouldn't it that would change you dramatically um, as you go through acts the the, the second chapter after luke's uh, gospel you realize here are the brave faithful disciples who've been transformed uh, who lead the church forward uh, and that's the case for thousands of people as they came to realize it's actually true uh, the Apostle Paul is another case in point, isn't he? The one who, who was not only sceptical, was, was clear that Jesus is a blasphemer, that the, Jesus and his disciples needed to be persecuted. And yet meeting the resurrected Lord Jesus, the Apostle Paul makes a complete turnaround 
He realises, no, no, this is the Lord. He is the Christ. We must live for him. Uh, the gospel is true. But thirdly, think about it historically. If it is true, then you actually would like to see that it has its ripple effects throughout all of history. And it does. You actually see that it's recorded uh, in the rest of history as well. Uh, there's a guy by the name of Tacticus, a famous first century Roman uh, historian. Uh, here's a quote from him. Christus, from whom the name Christian had its origins, suffered the extreme penalty during the reign of Tiberius under the hand of our procreator Pontius Pilate. The result was that a deadly superstition, thus checked for the moment, again broke out. Now just think about the logic again. The disciples follow a leader, he's killed, they run to their lives, it seems that it's all over, then unexpectedly this great movement comes up. Uh, full of life and joy and proclamation and risking life and bravery. What makes it go from that to that? And again, the most obvious answer is the resurrection. There are the disciples, ordinary, self-confessed cowards, but within 30 years, they're enduring beatings, floggings, imprisonments and ultimately death. What changed the complete Roman Empire for the next couple of hundred years? What turned the emperor to follow the Lord Jesus? Not by violence or threat, but by persuasion, by looking at the historical facts, by preaching that Jesus is the Lord. It makes sense of history that the resurrection is true. And so... What a difference Jesus makes. How different is Jesus when he says, I've come to die for you and your sins and I'm going to rise again. And he actually does it. How different is he from Muhammad, Confucius, Buddha, who make their impact, who have teaching, who were good men, but didn't claim to be resurrected, didn't claim to have victory over death, didn't claim to usher in the kingdom of God and heaven for all those who trust in him makes an enormous difference doesn't it i don't know whether you've seen that movie it's a bit of an old movie now dead poet society robin williams uh, who's sadly no longer with us he plays the teacher mr keats takes his students to that honor board um i won't do the voice for you but he's, he looks at the honor board he looks at old photos with his students and he says you know boys look at the photos of those people who have now passed away uh, and this is what he says to them. He says, boys, they're no different from you. There's hope in their eyes, just like in yours. They believe they're destined for wonderful things, just like many of you. But now they're fertilising daffodils. You can see what he believes, can't you? But that's not true. That's not true for them. That's not true for you. That's not true for me. That, that wasn't true for Jesus. The resurrection changes everything, doesn't it? It says there is a huge realm beyond us. It tells us that this life really, really matters. It tells us that how you respond to the Lord Jesus is incredibly important. Let me give you three things as we finish this morning. Three reasons why the resurrection really matters. Uh, and the first one's really obvious, isn't it? From where we started. It tells us very clearly that death is not the end. 
Death is not the final point. Uh, it tells you that that sign in Lisbon Harbour, nothing more beyond, does not relate to our lives beyond the grave. And in fact, they discovered that with the world, didn't they? Columbus returned from America. Apparently, they had to change the sign. They had to change the sign, didn't they? There is more beyond. You need to know that. There is an America. There are the Americas. Um, because Columbus went over the edge and he came back. Uh, he's uniquely qualified to say there is more beyond. And that is the case for the Lord Jesus. There is more beyond this life and it matters. And the second reason uh, is, is a simple consequence of that. Uh, if there is more beyond, then we are tremendous fools if we only live for this life. That is just the logic of it, isn't it? If there is a great eternity to come, if the resurrection of Jesus really matters and he's the one who ushers in that life to come, then it is incredibly foolish just to live for this life in the here and now. Uh, that, that is a very, very foolish thing to be doing. Uh, and the resurrection of Jesus must change the way you live now, if it's true. If you believe it's true, someone must be able to say, well, why does he do that? He, he believes in the resurrection of Jesus. He believes that there is actually a life to come. And so I want to say to you this morning, if, if you're not yet a Christian, um, please consider these things really, really carefully. It is worth your investigation. It is worth your effort. It's worth your time. There is so much at stake. Uh, so many of us here have discovered there is life beyond the grave. There is hope and forgiveness. There is that eternal life to be gained. Um, let me encourage you uh, to seek it out, to work out whether Jesus is true. Jesus actually says uh, to us that we need to think very carefully about weighing that up, whether you're going to follow Jesus, trust him, have eternal life, or whether you're going to live your life now and have all the, the gain there. Uh, Jesus says, what would it gain you, though, if you had all of that, whatever all of that is in this life? You only live for now, and yet you forfeit your soul for the life to come. That is a really, really bad equation, isn't it? Uh, Jesus warns us about that. But if you are a Christian, it says something to us too, doesn't it? If the resurrection is true, if there is a life to come, uh, if all the decisions for that life to come actually are made now, if God's involved us in those decisions and gathered his church now, then what the Apostle Paul says is really, really true, isn't it? Your work in the Lord is never in vain. Stand firm on the Lord Jesus. Uh, never give up, never lose hope. Um, because your work in the Lord is not in vain. It's actually eternal. There are lots of things we do that are in vain. There are lots of things that will pass away. Um, I put a lot of work into, into uh, renovating my home and someone else is going to enjoy it. <laughs> but the work we do in the kingdom of God lasts forever and we will enjoy it forever and we'll be together enjoying that together with the Lord Jesus. And the last thing to say, a third reason why the resurrection matters is that it says to you that Jesus is the real deal. Jesus is the king, the one to live for. Uh, there's a whole lot of people that we could live for. There's a whole lot of people that we could listen to. But he is your king. He is your judge. Uh, he is your saviour. He is the one worth focusing on. He is the one worth living for. He is the one worth aligning your life under uh, for the rest of your life. Um, so again, uh, it, it challenges us, doesn't it?
What are we doing about the Lord Jesus? Uh, is he the number one? Are we thinking beyond the grave? Are we thinking about this life to come? Have we thought seriously about following Jesus, trusting him and living with him as our Lord and Saviour? Um, I'm going to pray that we will continue to do that. I'm going to pray that I will continue to do that as uh, we head down to Wollongong, but I'll pray that you will continue to do that here at the lakes for many years to come. Let's pray. Our great Heavenly Father, uh, how thankful we are this morning as we think on Jesus, that you gave your Son, uh, Jesus, the perfect sacrifice in our place. Uh, you did this be because we needed a Saviour. We needed to be forgiven. Uh, we needed eternal life. Uh, we needed to be reconciled to you. And we thank you so much that you've done that uh, in the person of Jesus, your very own Son and our King. Father, thank you for his death and resurrection. Thank you that he's conquered death on our behalf. Uh, thank you that he's ushered in new life, that death has been dealt with, that our sin has been paid for, that we can now have friendship with you and we can have eternal life. Uh, Father, as we think about the days ahead, as we think about the time between now and the Lord Jesus' return, uh, Lord, for those of us who are still not sure about Jesus, uh, Lord, give us uh, time to think on these things. Give us opportunity. Uh, help us to think seriously about who Jesus is. Uh, Father, for those of us who know you and trust in the Lord Jesus, we pray, Lord, that you keep us there in that very place, uh, trusting you and depending on you, living for you as our King, uh, investing our lives uh, for the sake of the gospel and the kingdom, um, knowing that it is not in vain, that it is an eternal work. Uh, Lord, protect us against the temptation of being distracted or turning away from the Lord Jesus. Father, I pray that uh, this might be true uh, for all of us, uh, for us as we head off to Wollongong and serve the Lord Jesus there, but for my brothers and sisters here at the lakes for many years to come. We pray for Jesus' sake. Amen.